Welcome to What She Said, the heartbeat of Canadian women's voices with me, your host, Candace Sampson. Here, we dive deep into the raw, unfiltered stories and triumphs of women from coast to coast. This isn't just a podcast, it's a movement where empowerment and education collide and where mansplaining is shown the door. We're here to celebrate, uplift, and echo you. So get cozy, tune in, and let's embark on this journey together, exploring the rich tapestry of women's lives, their battles, and victories, right here on What She Said. Canadians have a lot to deal with on a day-to-day basis anymore, and the feeling of overwhelm is real. And with every issue presented as just as important as the next, it's easy to throw up your hands and tune it all out. But there is a pressing issue that strikes at the heart of what it means to be Canadian, and no one can afford to ignore it. This is the crisis within our healthcare system. We are standing on the brink of a seismic shift. The very essence of our cherished universal healthcare system is under threat from the insidious creep of privatization. This isn't just a matter of policy. It's about preserving a fundamental aspect of our national identity, where healthcare is a right, not a privilege. The danger is real and it's imminent. If we don't take collective action now, we risk crossing a point of no return, where healthcare becomes a commodity, accessible only to those who can afford it. Imagine a future where every medical necessity, from a routine doctor's visit to life-saving procedures, comes with a price tag. It's a future we must avoid at all costs. The time for complacency is over. Our voices, united and strong, have the power to enact change. You need to look no further than Manulife's caving to public pressure and allowing prescriptions to be filled at any pharmacy, not just Shoppers Drug Mart. When we look for voices on this subject, our attention is often pulled to politicians who do what politicians do best and make it a political talking point, something else to run on. The majority of Canadians, however, have long believed that healthcare is a human right, and so the voices we need to be hearing are from those on the front lines, the dedicated individuals who witness the daily realities of our healthcare system's struggles. Their insights are invaluable, providing us with a clear picture of the challenges and what's exactly at stake. And I know it's easy to overlook the importance of accessible healthcare when we're healthy. But when the unexpected happens, the last thing we should worry about is whether we can afford the care we need. This is why the perspective of Amy Archibald Varley is indispensable in this conversation. Amy, an award-winning thought leader, health equity specialist, and the co-host of the Gritty Nurse podcast, brings a wealth of experience and insight to the table. Her advocacy for mental health, health equity, and her commitment to fostering courageous conversations make her the perfect guest to shed light on the complexities of healthcare reform and privatization in Canada. So join me now as I explore this critical issue with Amy, understanding the stakes, the challenges, and the actions we can take to preserve this cornerstone of Canadian identity, our universal healthcare system. Amy, welcome to What She Said. Thank you so much for having me. We have about a half an hour, and it's obviously just not going to be enough because this is a huge, huge topic. But let's start here. 
your your work sort of uh, spans very various facets of healthcare, from equity to mental health advocacy. How do you see these areas being impacted by the current trends in healthcare reform and privatization in Canada? Yeah, let's even just start maybe with mental health, and I can kind of talk about the equity piece. So when I think about all of the various different um, things that are happening in our current government system, and I think about, you know, today, actually, there was a presser with, uh, with Doug Ford, and he was talking about, uh, someone had asked him about like safe supply versus uh, safe consumption sites. And he didn't actually understand the difference between the two, because he's like, Oh, you know, we have um, consumption sites, and the individual was ask, ask, asking actually about, you know, a safer supply, like what is happening in BC. And I think when we're talking about mental health, we have to talk about not criminalizing the instances where people might be using substances. So I, I think, again, he mentioned, he's like, oh, we need to get to the root cause of, the, of these issues. And the root cause is getting those gangbusters and getting these drug addicts. And it's like, no, the root cause is actually social inequities. The root cause is people that don't have housing, people that don't have access to food or food insecurity. So we've seen stuff about like Gail and Weston and crazy prices. I think I saw, I, I can't remember the hashtag. It was, it was hilarious, but it was like, I think it was like, um, Rob, what was it? Um, Rob laws. Rob, Rob laws. laws. Yes. <laughs> Rob laws. Perfect. And a hundred percent. And it's like, if we're going to be talking about mental health and, and equity in healthcare, we have to talk about those social determinants of health that are affecting people's livelihoods. Those are the root causes. The root cause, you know, drug dealers, these things, those are a part of the issues, but they're not the only issue. And the issue is looking at these factors within that effector health that can be affected by the government. So housing, <laughs> affordable housing, um, you know, uh, having access to prescriptions. We saw a whole thing about this week, just about, you know, these, these med checks and what's happening with pharmacies, um, you know, better access to primary care. Again, <laughs> that, you know, there are millions and millions of Ontarians without family access to family doctors. And then just, you know, things like food insecurity. We haven't even hit the fact that we don't collect race-based data, but we do know that there are issues from, you know, various different standpoints that affect different cultural groups um, at greater rates. And we, we saw a little bit of that with COVID. So again, there's there's so many things that we can tie into the problematic issues where our government are saying, here are the problems out here. And we're we're going to use these privatized solutions. And they again, they don't mention the fact that they're using our publicly funded tax dollars to fund private entities, whether they're pri uh, uh, private agency nurses or, you know, private surgical facilities. But they're not dealing with the root cause of the problem, which is, you know, attacking the issues that we have at hand. And and it's it's hugely problematic. I love that you mentioned social determinants. And because this, you know, yesterday I was, I was, you know, scrolling through and I saw somebody talk about, you know, Huberman who said, you know, here's your eight pillars of health. And he talked about, you know, get sunlight every day and you have to exercise and you have to do this. And somebody said, no, 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 no. It is the social determinants that that are the most important aspect of anybody's health. And that's what we need to be addressing. And I think it's really easy for those of us who do have homes and, you know, uh, a safety network around us to take these things for granted. And I think this really needs to be pushed into the spotlight for people to understand just how bad it is for people uh, out there right now. It's it's devastating. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hugely challenging. I think that, you know, we're still seeing the, the effects post-COVID, or I shouldn't say post-COVID because COVID is still here, 
or we're still seeing the ramifications of, you know, people who might have lost income, people who who lost jobs, people who, you know, who now have chronic illnesses because of COVID and other things. And and the the crisis in terms of mental health, housing, um, food insecurity, it's not getting any better. And again, I, I really, I really want people to understand that these these issues that we're seeing aren't personal failures. Again, this is more speaking to the mental health aspect. It's not an individual's failure that they're living on the street or precariously housed. We have to look at the systems that are in place that make these instances occur. And I think this is what I want people to really start thinking about because it's not, I, no one would choose to live on the street. Like, I, I know that that's not a fact. No one would choose to live precariously. And again, we have to think about what are the policies and things that we have in place that allow this to continue to happen. I mean, I, I think about, you know, for example, when I went like just, just the other day, just, you know, dri- driving down in Hamilton and seeing all of the tents and like, you know, seeing that worm- warming centers aren't being opened or being like, hey, where's the mayor in terms of some of these things that are happening in terms of access or making sure that people have access to these things. And again, I have to put it back onto policy decisions we have to have better policy decisions and we have to hold our leaders accountable for these decisions that continue to create these wide gaps of inequities, these wide issues with mental health and with, you know, mental well-being that that curate the system and the crisis that we're in. So, again, I'm a big proponent of criticizing our government, any government. So I think I that, had not noticed. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just think it's like, I feel it's a part of my responsibility as a citizen. It right? is all of our responsibility. That, that we, we all live here. We all are working amongst this system. That it's our responsibility to hold any governments, all governments accountable for whatever policies that they put in place because they affect me, they affect you and they affect other people. How can I not care? Right? Like I, I know sometimes my husband's like, you are like going too hot. Like you, you're pregnant. Like you need to slow down. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm constantly thinking about what is, what am I going to leave? Not just a legacy in terms of, you know, the work that I've done, but what, what am I leaving for my kids to, to have to deal with in the future from an environmental perspective, from a healthcare perspective, from a socioeconomic perspective. And I feel like if, if, if one thing I say can change someone's mind to, to vote differently or to think about an issue differently, then I'm going to be out there to say it. You have a podcast, The Gritty Nurse. And this has been a platform for courageous conversations about healthcare. Right. What are some of the most pressing concerns you've heard Ooh. from healthcare professionals regarding the state of our healthcare system? Wow, that's <laughs> that's a big question because, to be honest, our inbox gets full all the time. We get so many requests and so many different issues. But if I if I was to probably think about the top three concerns, um, and not in any particular order, um, one is primary health care, right? I think that we have an issue not just with people finding access to to primary care uh, practitioners or whether that's a nurse practitioner or a physician or whomever um, an individual chooses to see with care, but there there's this whole idea in this conversation about, you know, the use or misuse of the emergency department. And I really don't like the whole idea behind misuse because if we gave people the right options or there was better health literacy in, in Canada and Ontario, that people would have the option to choose different things. And I don't think that we do a really good job here with with uh, making people understand what health literacy looks like, when when to go to the emergency department, when to go to urgent care, or when to see a primary care practitioner. But again, that piece of not having someone to, you know, 
I have a cut, I have a bruise, I have a cold. If you don't have someone to go see because you're on a wait list for two years, or you're on, I've heard people being on wait lists for eight years. I actually spoke to someone just like last week and they're like, we just got into a clinic and we've been waiting for eight years, which is insane. Where do people go to receive care? They're going to go to walk-in clinics. They're going to go to urgent care centers. And the worst is they don't get care. They, they they have these healthcare issues, they push them to the back burner, and then we see them coming to the emergency departments critically ill with problems that should have been dealt with way, way long, way, way in the past. But because they didn't have access to primary care physicians, we're seeing them in the emergency departments. And again, this is the whole piece where we need to talk about better strategies in relation to how do we ensure that you know Canadians have access to our primary care physician? Um, thinking about even rural communities, we're hearing about like emergency departments shutting down and people not having care that way. I think you know that whole aspect of primary care needs to be looked at. And again, I'm, I'm going to toot my little nursing horn here. I saw a post recently on Twitter where I believe it was actually a, a physician, or maybe it was LinkedIn, a physician talking about, oh, there's these uh, NP clinics coming up and look at all this money that they're charging. And I said, well, instead of looking at that, because that is problematic, that is now uh, you know, a privatization of healthcare, why don't NPs have access to billing OHIP? I'll just put that out there. <laughs> Anyways, so that's one issue I see. The other issue I see is really we are seeing that um, slow creep of privatization of services. And I'm very concerned for what that might look like. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have options available. I actually did a talk with the Canadian Medical Association and the Globe and Mail where we were talking about what options might be available because clearly the status quo isn't working. So I am I am for options, but I am not for options of using our publicly funded tax dollars to fund private entities. I think that's hugely problematic. And I mean, I don't want to continue this juxtaposition between Canada and the States because there's so much variance and differences. But again, we still have to be very concerned. I think for me is that equity piece, right? Understanding that not all people, when, when we start turning healthcare into a business versus a service that should be provided to everyone, regardless of race, sex, gender, you know, um, socioeconomic status, that's concerning to me when we can put a price tag on it or when someone can choose to have an upgraded, you know, eye surgery versus having, you know, here's what the OHIP standard is. I, I, right. it's, it's concerning for me. And I'd say the last piece is um, the workforce. Uh, we have a workforce issue, uh, particularly in nursing. Um, and it's concerning because uh, just recently, and I'm sure you, you saw this headline too, um, finally, again, the courts ruled in our favor for Bill one, uh, 124. Um, and now the Ontario government is not again going to use our publicly fund, funded do dollars to you know fight nurses and other uh, public uh, sector workers in relation to this bill, which was deemed unconstitutional and capped nurses' wages at less than 1%. So again, we, we have a retention issue. and um, it's kind of like these these very various R's, retention, respect, recognition. Um, healthcare providers are not feeling heard or respected or and it's it's a problem because we lost a lot of great nurses. And I mean, people ask me, they're like, oh, you know, is it nurses that were unvaccinated that have left or this, that, and the other thing? And I'm like, you know what? A lot of the colleagues that I knew that left nursing were just like, F this. I'm not dealing with this in the during this pandemic. I'm not being heard or respected. I went through SARS 
I don't want to do this again. And, you know, why would I put myself in a situation where, you know, I don't have proper PPE, I'm speaking out about issues, or I'm fearful to speak about issues, or we're so chronically staffed that we're dealing with moral distress, we're seeing patients coming in, and we know we just cannot give them the adequate care that we want to give them. It's 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 very distressing. And I think that a lot of uh, my colleagues said no. They just said, you know, I can't do this anymore. And they moved into other areas of nursing and some have moved on completely onto different careers. And I feel that we lost a lot of seasoned nurses, which is um, really a part of the issue. A lot of the nurses that are in EDs and various different spaces like ICUs are really green. Um, and we lost that experience and knowledge. But even more so, what this does is because we weren't listened to, respected, regarded, um, it ends up hurting the patients. And I, 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 I think about my colleagues who go in day in, day out into the hospital setting or, or you know, community setting. And I think about what they have to deal with. Because at the end of the day, unless you go and have to get health care, you don't really truly know what it's like being on the other side. So it's easy for people to be like, oh, you know, you're just complaining. Um, it's not that bad. But when you're in the thick of it and now you're taking your loved one in and you're seeing that we're hustling as hard as we possibly can, um, but we know we're working short. We, we're, we don't have all of the resources that we need. We're not getting the, you know, we're doing extra shifts to make sure that we can compensate. Um, things will get missed. People will, there will be harm and people will die. And it's an issue that we're dealing with right now. Hey there, it's Candace, And I've got a health tip that's too good to keep to myself. Ever heard of New Roots Herbal? Since 1985, this Canadian brand has been redefining what it means to be thorough. With an impressive team of scientists and over 8,000 square feet of advanced lab space, they test every ingredient three times to ensure you're getting the safest, most effective products on the market. So if you're like me and want the best for your health and for those you love, New Roots Herbal is the way to go. You can find their exceptional products exclusively at health food stores near you. Visit NewRootsHerbal.com to find a location in your area. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. I'd like to focus just for a minute on the, you know, sort of that concerted effort that seems to be happening to underfund and privatize our healthcare system. Right. When you look across the country, I mean, as I do right now, it, and it seems to be uh, perhaps this is the wrong observation, but it seems to me that the conservative provinces are are actively pursuing this this line of privatization uh, of of healthcare and sort of dismantling the system purposely, uh, you know, causing all of these crises. But do you think this is a conservative issue, or do you think this is something that? You know, if liberal governments were in power, that we would be seeing this happening as well. I'm curious what your thoughts are on on sort of the political aspect of of this conversation, um, because 
right now, maybe it's just because conservatives are in power that we're seeing it. But would it be the same, you think, with liberals? <laughs> you know, that's that's a fantastic question. I think to myself that, you know, again, like I've said, it, any government coming in, for me, I would have no problem criticizing if I'm not seeing what's what should be done being done. And I think this is where, like you kind of mentioned the point, like, um, are we seeing a politicization of healthcare? And 100% we are. And I kind of think back to even, you know, pre-COVID, um, how people really viewed healthcare, and it wasn't as political as it is today. And it's very concerning to me because I'm kind of wondering, like, what flavor we're really going for here. Like, I, mm-hmm. we are, um, we we pride ourselves as Canadians on this universal healthcare. Again, a bit there's problems with our universal healthcare model because, for example, mental health is actually not covered universally. Like, if you want to go see a psychiatrist or you want to see a social worker or you want to see a psychologist, you will pay out of pocket initially to see these these services or have counseling services. Um, and then you know we talk about dental and eye care. But again, we prize ourselves for the most part that when you walk into an institution and you you need an emergency surgery, they're not asking you for um, money, right? Yes, we paid out of our tax uh, our tax dollars, but we're not leaving the hospital with a thirty thousand dollar bill. And um, we're seeing this slow creep, and I, I'd say it's like a a neoliberalism type of creep, of you know politics, American politics. Uh, various different forms of politics creeping into this realm of healthcare. And I find it hugely concerning because if the business of health should be, you know, ensuring that the person has the best healthcare outcome that they possibly have when they leave the walls versus a business model or, you know, bringing in your personal ideas or your religious views, I find it very, very scary. And we're seeing more and more of it every single day. I, I was appalled when uh, Pierre Polyev came out and said that, you know, he does not believe in puberty blockers. Well, I, I'm not going to swear on your podcast, so I'll behave myself. But like, <laughs> that is not the business of a politician, no. right? And and it's concerning because we're hearing these words coming out. And we have to we have to know that the words of politician will influence the way people will think and view and vote, right? But again, the business of healthcare should stay in the realm of healthcare, and it is not. So again, you kind of asked me a question in relation to I think what I think it would be any different. I think that there were, are some differences. We know there are differences from each party, from party to party, in terms of what they believe in terms of healthcare, from greens to NDP to liberals to, you know, the conservatives, but we are seeing an active um, defunding of our currently in our, in our system, which can't be ignored, right? There are, there are surplus of dollars that, that Doug Ford has been sitting on for God knows how long. And, uh, and we're seeing scandal after scandal after scandal. So again, I think it was Tommy Douglas who said, you know, if you are going to take a healthcare system and and continue to deplete it, again, it will break. And we will see that creep of, oh, here's this, this is the best solution. We need to go this route instead. And we see that more that that creep of, you know, privatization. And again, I don't know if other governments would do better. I know there were challenges with the liberal government. You hear the, the arguments going back and forth of like, this started here, this started where. Um, 
and I, and I agree with some of those aspects too, but we are, but in this current moment and all I can do is speak about what we're currently seeing is we are seeing the underfunding. Like I've, I've been talking about ORs and actually I'm going to have a, a nurse come on our podcast um, in the next couple of weeks. Who's, who's been an OR nurse for 13 years is going to come and share their perspectives of what they've been seeing. And like I had this conversation with them just a couple of weeks ago and it was eye opening because again, same things that I've been seeing, like, oh, there are ORs that are not actively being used. Um, but why are we looking at funding and building, you know, um, facilities when we have services that aren't even being looked at right now um, in the, in our public sphere? So again, I can only speak to what's happening right now. And the current flavor is that our government is not doing enough to um, protect the public sector in healthcare, And we are seeing that active uh, dismantling of the system. CareToKnow.ca is a free resource where Canadians receive the latest health information, updates on new and existing treatments, and advice from Canadian doctors via email. After enrolling at CareToKnow.ca, you'll receive accurate and reliable information from trusted Canadian medical experts delivered directly to your inbox. Members can also access the website for information on a variety of health-related topics. Through resources like vodcasts, podcasts, and live webinars, Canadian experts discuss how to manage a number of medical conditions and provide the latest knowledge and advice to help you make informed decisions about your family's health with your own healthcare provider. To sign up and start learning more about the health matters that impact you most, enroll in caretoknow.ca today. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. You mentioned that surplus that that Ford is sitting on, um, which infuriates me daily. Uh, but also, uh, Trudeau was just uh, in Ontario, uh, sorry, meeting with in Toronto with uh, Doug Ford and right. and provided billions more in funding. And I'm curious, are there uh, strings attached to this money where it can be spent and how it can be spent? And will we see it be going that money or some of that money be going to things like these superfluous meds checks that shoppers drug mart is doing right is, does it come out of that that pot and you know or does it go to pay nurses in private agencies where is this money going and how do we ensure that it's being spent responsibly you know those are all the same questions i had so again i saw the statement from uh, the prime minister justin trudeau who kind of reiterated the fact that these monies are supposed to be used for pu- the publicly funded system. Again, where is the accountability structure? There, okay, first and foremost, there is no accountability structure 
across the provinces to ensure that the funding that is provided from a healthcare standpoint is used solely and specifically for, for publicly funded healthcare dollars, which I find problematic. I mean, in any other world, any other job, whether it's, you know, like, let's say you're working at a grocery store or whatever, there's accountability. If you take from the cash register and you know you're caught, you're going to get fired. But here in Ontario and across the provinces, if our ministers of health are not doing a good job, there's no real checks and balances and accountability. Nobody loses their position. Like I, like we, <laughs> I have to keep laughing when, you know, we talk about, you know, our, our minister of health care or, you know, our chief medical officer. Cause I'm like, what do these people actually do? Like, and, and there is no accountability for what they do versus what they don't. And how is it in healthcare that we don't have these checks and balances? I actually had this conversation with um, Andre Picard from the Globe and Mail, and he's just like, it boggles my our minds that we don't have an accountability structure. So I'm I'm going to be very curious to know if, you know, Will the public have access to understanding how these new federal funds will be used? Will we have, you know, will there be some type of line items that we'll be able to look at to say, here's how this money is being used? Will there be accountability? Will the federal government, you know, withdraw the funds or or make the government repay funds back if they're not being used appropriately? I don't know these answers. I just saw the blanket statement that it's supposed to be used in the spirit of, uh, you know, how publicly funded healthcare should work. So I have tons of questions. And um, again, like, I just, I'm very weary of our, our government as it stands, like <laughs> seeing them use millions of dollars for ads that are, that are really not accurate using information. Like it was, it was kind of funny. I called out the Ford government and Sylvia Jones, for talking about, you know, here's, they have, they've hired 80,000 nurses and even Ona chimed in and was like, what are you talking about? We're at like a net loss here, but they're using millions and millions of our dollars to, to essentially lie. <laughs> Let's just call a spade a spade. And um, it's problematic when we don't have that accountability structure, but I'm, I'm interested to know what will happen. I, I hope that um, there are more strings attached. Maybe there's a little bit more that we I, I've missed. But from the statement, all I saw was that um, it, it should be used for publicly funded um, for publicly funded uh, healthcare dollars. But we'll see. Holding, not going to hold my breath. <laughs> Hello, I'm Wendy Mesley. There you are. A lot of people have wondered what happened to you. I could say the same about you, Maureen Holloway. Well, here we are, a few years after we left our previous jobs. We've been busy. We have a podcast. I know, you're thinking, who doesn't? But ours is really good. It's called Women of Ill Repute. We don't just talk to women, though. Just the most interesting people you'd ever want to meet. Artists, musicians, comedians, doctors. Activists, convicts, writers, sex workers. Drop some names. Jan Arden, Pamela Anderson, Bruce Coburn. Samantha Irby, Louise Penny, Marilyn Dennis, Colin Mockery. We laugh, we cry, sometimes we argue. Come and find us. Our website is womenofillrepute.com. Or try Apple, Spotify, and all the podcast places. So now you know what happened to us, Women of Ill Repute. So here's probably, I guess, maybe a curse and a blessing for you and I. We spend a great deal of our time online in the discourse. We are, we are reading, we are aware, we know it. Right. I believe most Canadians are not fully aware 
of what is happening right. to the system until they go to get that blood test and they have to pay out of pocket right. or until they have to go somewhere and, and suddenly find out they have a, a bill sitting in front of them. Uh, how do we get Canadians, you know, citizens who don't spend their time on, you know, Twitter or, or you know, X or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, following all of this um, religiously like we do, how do we get them aware? And then also, how do we get people involved um, to to make changes? I mean, I will say there is power in public pressure. Look what happened with Manulife. I think that is an, yeah. excellent, an excellent, excellent example of what we can actually accomplish when we put pressure on these companies. So how do we do that now and, and force this change with our government, which God forbid we have two more years left with this clown? And that's all, I mean, I just, I can't even think of a better word. <laughs> it's a clown. Yeah. I mean, jeez. Oh, um, the biggest thing is awareness, right? I think we need to find various different ways to bring awareness to people about what's happening. So yes, we can use social media. And I always say like, you know, not, ev not everybody's on social media. So how else do we get awareness to people, you know, the, our communities about what's happening? And I think we have to start thinking creatively. So again, I think that, you know, it'd be great if organizations like ONA and, and, you know, various different like um, healthcare organizations can come up with t some types of ads or, or even, you know, get out there and, and be active. Like I, I know the Ontario Health Coalition is always out there in various different union groups. But again, I think we need to create that awareness. And again, talking about people and how people can get involved, I think, don't wait till you experience it, right? Like don't, don't have, you don't want to be that person who's like, I was sitting in the emergency for 12 hours plus and I didn't receive the care that I thought I'd receive or I saw how hard they were working, but now this has happened to me. Um, I think that, you know, we got to put the onus on individuals to do a little bit of hard work um, and to actually get out there and, and find out what's happening. I, I really hope that I kind of I'm kind of hoping that in the next two years, maybe as various different parties start thinking about what the next you know, beyond two years will look like that they start talking about healthcare. I think it's probably one of the biggest things that anybody can campaign about right now. It's, it's hugely important for all of us. And I believe that there's always ways that we can get involved in terms of advocacy. And I think, you know, um, I'm, I'm a big proponent of dinner table conversations. I know some people are just like, I don't want to talk about politics. Well, you don't have to talk about politics, but we can talk about what's happening in our healthcare system. And I think that, you know, through shared stories and experiences, that really will help people understand what's really happening to you. I think we can't attack people with all with, you know, just here are the the horrible things that are happening. But sometimes just a story can really change the way that people can think about what might be happening around their around uh, healthcare and what's happening in Ontario. So um those are the types of strategies that I would be looking forward to that I would probably use. Again, I'm a big proponent of using social media. I'm pretty loud <laughs> when I'm on there. And then also just, you know, whatever avenues I have, whether it's a conversation like this going on a podcast or, you know, sharing my voice with, you know, local news networks or national news networks, I'm going to continue to try to, you know, get that information out there. And I, I, I really hope that hospitals would do a better job of kind of letting people know. I think that, you know, they're kind of um, being very silent about what's happening because, again, they do get their funding from the provincial government. And I, I've had some conversations with some health leaders, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to name names, but where there is fear in saying, like, they could be like, yeah, this is really awful, but we need like $5 million from the government at this point in time to get, 
you know, buy on some of these things. But again, um, I think we need to see different strategies and maybe it is time for hospital organizations to say, here's what's happening behind our walls. Um, we're spending how many millions of dollars on privatization, on uh, private uh, nurses coming in. Uh, we need to hear those stories because I think those are stories that will impact as well. And and more healthcare providers raising their voices. I know there's so much fear out there, um, particularly within the nursing community in terms of raising their voices. And I think that we have to find different ways and channels to do that, whether that's through your union body, or if you want to reach out to me or other nurses who have been advocating about how to go about and do that, whether it's on social media or even on your local nursing units. So I think that we all have a part to play. This is our health. This is our environment. This is our future. And um, we should play a role in it as well. What's your stance then on these, you know, these private corporations um, entering into healthcare? You know, is there a place for them? And is it that perhaps there is a place for them, but that the the conversations are not happen- happening publicly enough, as we're seeing with Shoppers Drug Mart? making, which is by extension, Loblaws and Galen Weston, you know, slowly creeping into almost every aspect of our lives. And the two biggest things, you know, groceries and healthcare. Um, Shouldn't these conversations be happening more upfront? I, I I completely agree with you. Yes, they should be. We should be more upfront and have more knowledge about what's happening behind the, these closed doors and, you know, these small little things that are happening where we don't understand or the general public doesn't understand in, in terms of, you know, these privatization and using our publicly funded dollars to kind of support them. I'm not saying that there is no role. I'm saying that there's no role in using our tax dollars to fund these entities. Um, again, I think that what we need is transparency. And I think whenever people are hiding or covering up things, that's where the problems start, right? I think as long as people are transparent, people have say and stake and have an ability to, you know, say whether they agree or disagree, that's the biggest part to me. Like you can't make these decisions, exclude people, and then expect us to be happy about it or, you know, not tell us the full truths. Governments need to be transparent. Organizations need to be transparent. Show us where the money's coming from. Show us where the money's going. Who's it going to? And again, I'm just always concerned when you put healthcare and money together, what what is the end goal? Is the end goal to see better healthcare outcomes or is the better or is the end goal to increase your profits? Um, I, I think that's a pretty easy answer if if you ask me. Absolutely. I'm gonna end this with a really big question. And I don't even know if you can answer it. (laughs) All right. But what are your hopes for the evolution of Canada's healthcare system? And what steps do you believe are necessary to ensure that it remains a pillar of our society? Yeah, that is a big question. You know, I I think we always, sometimes it's about going back to the basics, going back to what our our viewpoints are in terms of what we believe um, health should be and what healthcare should look like. yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's really challenging, but I think it's, I think we need to get back to the basics. I think we need to listen to healthcare voices. We need to listen to nurses. Again, I think that we'll probably touch on it a little bit, but I think that there is wisdom in hearing um, what nurses experience and what they see. Um, and I think we need accountability and transparency. So the two other principles that I've mentioned, and again, not even just hearing um, nurses and healthcare providers' voices, but it's really important to hear the patient voice and the patient story. I think sometimes we almost forget 
about, um, you know, we're talking about all the politics, all of the healthcare, all of the money, but we forget that at the end of the day, we're dealing with humans, humans dealing with humans and patients and dealing with people's lives. And I think that, you know, we need to get back to understanding what it is like to just be a decent individual. <laughs> like, what does that look like with having, you know, morals, ethics, and really feeling for one another and trying to be, you know, not just empathetic, but compassionate. So going beyond, you know, putting yourself in one's one's shoes and to say, like, how do I relieve this individual from suffering from a healthcare standpoint? So I think that, you know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Again, I, I think we need to depoliticize healthcare. I think that's like healthcare will always be political, but I think in terms of politicians coming through with their, you know, personal or religious beliefs, we don't want to be in a state where um, we look, you know, uh, we were losing rights, uh, women's rights, like we've seen in many states in, in America where, you know, certain women don't have access to safe abortions or access to abortion whatsoever. We don't want to be in that place. And I think that's where we have to really start thinking about um, what it means to take care of one, one another. I think we've lost a little bit of sight of that, you know, during COVID, during seeing, you know, that tumultuous time, so many relationships breaking down. And again, I think we just need to get back to the basics of like, how can we provide equitable, compassionate care to one another? And, you know, what would we want for ourselves or our loved ones? And it's a, it's a huge ask. Um, but, you know, I think that might be just the first step in terms of saying, you know, how we can write some of these issues that we're seeing. So maybe maybe that small step to try to be a little bit more compassionate. You know, I do actually I do have one last question. OK, because <laughs> as you were sitting here speaking, I'm thinking this all is is very rational and compassionate. Uh, you're an empathetic person. You, It's clear you care about people, but you you receive pushback. You receive Yep. Terrible, terrible comments. How do you cope with that? Well, I still sleep at night. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I think, I think when I, when I, when I get some of these comments that come towards me or I, the pushback that I might feel is understanding that people are frustrated. I, I get that, right? I understand that there is frustration out there in relation to our governments, in relation to how things are handled, in relation to, you know, the political landscape as it is. It's so dichotomous. And I, I really don't think that everything has to be so black and white. So, you know, I, I, I sometimes I see the comments and I, I guess they, it's not that they don't affect me. I understand, or I'm, I'm trying to see, I try to do some perspective taking, but at the end of the day, like I said, I know I can sleep at night because my my ultimate goal, my ultimate job is always to make sure that I'm going to ensure that other people will receive that compassionate care. Other people will have and benefit from better healthcare outcomes. I'm not, I don't do this. Like I don't right. get paid to talk about healthcare. I don't like I, I'm just a nurse here that is trying to see better for, for everybody. So at the end of the day, like, I mean, um, sometimes I get pushback and I think that's fine. Um, but it's always for me about the conversation. I will always reach across the table to have a conversation, even if someone has a different perspective, to hear their perspective and to, and to then maybe even challenge their perspective to say, hey, let's talk about something different or, or can you see it in this manner? So I don't, I don't take a lot to, to heart. Um, sometimes <laughs> I want to tell people F you. It's so hard. I, I think about it, I type it out and then I erase it. It's not, you know, this is, my, this is my strategy on Twitter. Like I say all of the horrible things that I'd like to say, and then I delete it. And then I exactly write what a I did through my divorce. <laughs> but again, same thing. 
<laughs> we got to do what we got to do, right? You just uh, put it out there. But the thing is, I, I know at the end of the day that I, I, I think people do want to do the right thing. Um, maybe they don't know how there's frustration. And I think that I'm happy to have the conversation with whomever it is across the board um, in relation to healthcare and how we can improve health, not just for me, but for them as well. And uh, yeah, sometimes I just let the comments roll because there are trolls out there. There are people that just want to instigate. I don't have to respond to everybody. I think that's the other thing. Like, don't read and open the view more comments. Because oh God, never honestly, read the for comments. the most part, they're not worth it. <laughs> don't read the comments. Um, but I think that, you know, um, if someone is really brave and bold, they're going to put a face and a name behind the, the statements that they're backing up. And for the most part on social media, they don't. So sometimes I just don't pay attention. And then there are some people that are asking me genuine questions and I'll reach out and have conversations with them. So uh, again, don't let the trolls distract you. Um, the most important thing is the work and making sure that we see better healthcare outcomes. Well, I would like to personally thank you for all that you're doing. Uh, you are a light and you share amazing information. And so I really encourage people to follow you. Uh, so where can they connect with you online and, and where can they find your podcast? And I think we should note that you have a book coming out. So thank let's you. let's share all of that. Okay. So if you're looking for me on social media, um, the best place to find me is probably on Twitter. So at Amy Varley, um, pretty much all my handles are the same. I think I'm at Amy A. Varley at in Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn, Amy Archibald Varley. Um, I also have a website, amyvarley.com or amyarchibaldvarley.com. Um, and yes, I have a book coming out. Well, maybe before I hit that, I have a podcast. So that's called The Gritty Nurse Podcast. You could find that on any of your listening platforms. So um, iTunes, Spotify, um, iHeartRadio. We also have a YouTube channel that we've now been posting some of our videos online. And yes, I have a book called The Wisdom of Nurses coming out April 2nd. And our publisher is HarperCollins. So it should be available in any bookstore, all bookstores, Indigo, Chapters, Amazon, wherever you get your books. And we just recently got um, U.S. rights. So our, our book will be available in the U.S. and internationally as well on Amazon. Amy, thank you so much for joining me. I feel this is going to be the first of many conversations we'll have uh, in, in the coming months and years. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. If today's podcast resonated with you, spread the word and share the inspiration. Don't forget to hit subscribe on What She Said across your favorite podcast platforms. Crave more? Join my vibrant community by signing up for my newsletter at whatshesaidtalk.com. And let's get social on Facebook, Instagram, and X at What She Said Talk. Dive into my world a little deeper on TikTok and threads at Candace Said. And for those who love the airwaves, catch me weekly on 105.9 The Region, Blast the Radio, and 107.7 Pulse FM. Until next time, keep making waves and remember, your voice matters. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. 
What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.